Welcome to the Global Workplace, Diversity, Equality, Opportunity. Your host is Alma Besserton, the founder and director of Wimmigrants of Australia. In our program, we will showcase the global organizations who are making a difference worldwide for skilled migrants, as well as focus on some challenges the migrants face with diversity and inclusion. Now, here is your host, Alma Besserton. Good morning, Australia, and uh, I think it's uh, probably evening or during the day somewhere around the world. I am so privileged uh, today to have one of the uh, most amazing guests, Dr. Susan Alberti, who likes to be called Sue. Good morning, Sue. Good morning, and hello, everyone in the United States. Sue, <laughs> um, so I uh, I don't know where to start with your biography Um I have about six pages, and I don't think that will do it justice, uh, how much you're loved here in Australia and how much you've done and uh, your amazing work that you're doing. But let me just introduce you for our international uh, listeners. Dr. Uh, Alberti is co-founder and managing director of the Dansu Group and chairman of uh, the Susan Alberti Medical Research Foundation. For 30 years, uh, Susan Alberti Gallabal has raised over 6 million towards medical research, including finding a cure for type 1 diabetes. In 2004, Susan became a board member of the Western Bulldogs Football Club. She is the patron of the Western Bulldogs Football Club and founding co-chair of the Western Bulldogs Forever Foundation. In 2012, she became a vice president of the club. In 1997, Susan received her member of the Order of Australia, an officer of the Order of Australia for her contribution towards the cause of diabetes research. That was in 2007. Also, she's the Melbourneian of the Year. Susan was awarded the JDRF International Volunteer of the Year 2003, which was the first time this honor has been given to an individual outside of the United States in its 45 years history. In 2017, she published the author biography, The Footy Lady. This is just a summary, Sue, because I could spend uh, probably more than one hour just going through your biography and amazing things that you've done. Um, there are a couple of other things that I just would like to mention. You were finalist um, in 2009 of Victoria Senior Australian of the Year. In September 2012, you were awarded the Life Education Australia um, Gold Herald Humanitarian Award. You were finalist uh, in the Financial Review and Westpac Group 100 Women of Influence Awards. Um, you were inducted into Victoria Honor Roll of Women in Ceremony in the Windsor Hotel. You became ambassador of the White Dove, uh, the Bridge of Hope initiative that was developed specifically to assist young women in the uh, um, state care. Uh, the list goes on. The latest <laughs> Thank one. Thank you. <laughs> you. You are so <laughs> inspiring. <laughs> The one thing I'd like you to mention is one of my greatest achievements is the introduction of women to AFL football in Australia, which has been yes. a lifelong journey of mine um, for about 60 years. 
and now we have a revolution happening in this country with women's football. We have over yes. half a million young women now playing the game. So that's my greatest, certainly, mm. I think, as far as involving women and bringing them to the forefront. So I just thought I'd like to mention that one. Yes, I, I was going to mention that the, the, the last Good. one because I read somewhere, um, but before I do that, you also were, uh, you received last year the Sports Performance Award. I won the Leadership Award by the Australian Institute of Sport. Yes. And I can remember going into the room and thinking, what in the heck am I doing here amongst all these Olympians? <laughs> I felt like an imposter being in that room with these unbelievable athletes. And I said to my husband, I don't have a hope in hell to win this. I said, what are we doing here? And he said, well, you're not going home. I said, well, I'm not going in there. He said, oh, yes, you are. Because <laughs> I, I was up against some incredible talent. And when my name was announced, I could not believe it that I would be given such an honour. And it was for all women, all women in playing sport. And I was incredibly honoured by being given that by the Australian government. Well, congratulations. So I actually Thank don't you. know that anyone else uh, um, is, is the better person than you to, to receive Thank this you. award uh, because the work that you've done is just incredible. And um, I read somewhere uh, that you had three wishes. Um, one, to have your beloved Bulldogs win a premiership. The other one, women to play... Um, a sport in AFL, and I believe these two were, uh, came true, and yes. also the third one to find a cure for diabetes one. Yes. Well, the first one, the AFL Premiership, which is an incredibly big achievement, we waited 62 years for that. Tick, we did that. The women, I wanted to see them given their own national league. I worked on that for years and years, and I financially supported it. Tick, we did that. But I've been, out the, I've been trying to find help find a cure for type 1 diabetes for 40 years. Haven't achieved that one yet, but I'm working damn hard on it. I, I think we all know in Australia and also a lot of people internationally know about that. And we'll come back to, to that um, sure. uh, during the show. Uh, you're one of the most inspirational ladies, uh, certainly, that I've met. I've, I've came to a couple of your speeches and every time I listen to you, I just sit there and I think, oh, my God, the strength, the knowledge, passion that you have is something that uh, a lot of people can, can learn and should learn from. And I really love what you do. So you, you're just an inspiration to me personally. Um, and I know you're an inspiration uh -huh. to many other people. Thank you um, so much. Oh, you, you're just amazing. Um, you, you're one of the leading business women and philanthropists here in Australia and you have a remarkable story to tell on a personal and business level. And uh, from a very young stage, I understand your life, you had to learn to juggle a life you lived in a man's mm. world. Tell us more about mm -hmm. that. Well, let me take you back to the very beginning. I grew up in the hard school of Knox. I grew up in a very, very difficult tough area. Um, my dad had just come out of the war and they didn't have any money, mum and dad, and put a deposit on a housing commission, housing trust, public housing home, and that's where I grew up until I was married and left home. But during my journey as a young child, it was a very difficult upbringing. My very, very best friend, who I did all my sport together, was raped and murdered. 
And the path that she was murdered is the path I used to travel along every night. And that particular night, I, uh, she, I, I waited for my father. So that could have been me. Instead, it was my friend Maureen who was murdered and raped in 1966. So I nearly gave up sport altogether. But I bounced back after a little while. I knew that, well, that was not the way, that's not the way I do things. I had to move on and, and try as best as I could get over it. So in business, I, I think I was an entrepreneur at about the age of six. Uh, one, because of financial circumstances, I think because of trying to help mum and dad and the family. But two, I think I had that innate sense of wanting to be an achiever and to do things and I, I was willing and dealing and making cakes and all sorts of things and selling them on the side out the front of our house. That was at six years of age. So I guess that was the start of my being an entrepreneur. And then, of course, I was working at the age of 14. I, there was no such thing as holidays for me at school. Saturday morning, I used to work um, because um, that was the only time I could work up until midday and then the shops closed. And then, of course, the school holidays, I continued to work. I never had a holiday. I worked, one, to supplement the family income, but also I had this yearning desire to um, save and be successful. And one day, hopefully, I would get into my own business. So that continued, and I excelled at um, business college. I was their top student because, I, again, I wanted to be a success. And I knew to be a success, I had to work extremely hard and to then be given a really good position, job in life. So I did that and I was chosen by the school to go to a very senior real estate agency, which was my introduction to real estate and property development. And then, of course, I met my husband, who was the, um, the migrant to this country. I came at the age of 19 with nothing, no money, no family, no home, nothing. So I guess Angelo and I, um, we made an incredibly good team. I had nothing, he had nothing, so we started with nothing <laughs> and we worked our way up. So it was, it was, we were a formidable team, the two of us. Whilst he didn't speak English and then he started to learn English, I decided I'd learn Italian to, to help him understand his way of life. And of course he wanted to be an Aussie and assimilate into the Australian community. So I thought it was good enough for him, it's good enough for me. So that's how it all started with business. Um, we were both an incredibly hard-working machine and just invested and reinvested, but it didn't come without a lot of tragedy along the way. Yes, uh, I, um, <clears throat> I bought your book and we'll talk about the book um, during you. the show and it's it's just amazing. Um it's it's kind of mixture of uh, of humor because one one thing that um, I always noticed about you the way you you go through life uh, with um, the, there's so many tragic things unfortunately happened but you always have that sort of positive light side of you as well Sue and and that came across the the book as well. Thank you. Um, with uh, you mentioned your late husband Albert was. Um, uh, migrant and uh, some of this show is about also helping people assimilate in a different mm -hmm. uh, cultures and countries and I think there was a, such a great example that you mentioned that uh, you tried to learn Italian and in fact um, many many years ago when I came across your name I actually thought you were Italian 
to be honest, because I think... Yeah, well, I speak very... Well, if I could say so, I'd be modest, but I do speak pretty good Italian. I did go to school, and then, of course, when my mother-in-law eventually arrived in Australia, I used to practice with her all the time. She was an incredible lady, a wonderful lady. Um, So I've kept the surname, even though I remarried... 13 years ago, after being a, a widow for 10 years, my, my husband, my second husband, did not have any problems or concerns because he, he said, I've been known as that for 40-odd years. Why change mm. it now? And quite frankly, I'm very proud of the heritage that I was introduced. Well, I feel like I'm, I'm part Italian, having you know lived with, um, married to an Italian, a whole family came out to Australia. But what was interesting about Angelo coming to Australia, um, he was so young, he was 19, and he had dreams and vision, and, and I, as I often say, he came, he saw, and yes, he did conquer. But I certainly helped him along the way with the language, with his language, and um, we, were, we were just a, a, a formidable team, the two of us. And, you know, it was, it was wonderful being introduced. Um, but as I said, he came at the age of 19, and... He did not want to mix necessarily with Italians. He wanted to be mm-hmm. assimilate with Australians and learn the Australian way of life. But he never, ever forgot where he came from, the beautiful part of Italy, which was northern Italy, in Udine, which is very near the Dolomites. Truly beautiful. Mm-hmm. I've been there many, many times. And not long after we were married, he said to me, Susan, I want to become naturalised. And I said, are you absolutely certain I'd never asked him. I would never ask him to become an, an Australian citizen. He said, Sue, I'm here. I'm paying taxes. This is my life. I want to become an Australian citizen. So that's what he did of his own volition. And uh, he became an Aussie not long after we were married. And whilst he loved where he came from, I said to him, you, you know, you, th- this is really a very you know, important decision you're making. He said, Sue, I will never stop loving Italy. It's my home. It's my birthplace. But I'm living here now, and I want to make Australia my home. But I'll never forget where I came from. So with that, it became naturalised. I think that's so important uh, because I felt exactly the same. I've been in Australia 27 years now, and uh, I haven't even been back to former Yugoslavia where I come from because my whole family is here, and I always say... This is my home now. This is where I belong. Yes. And I, I am Aussie with a funny accent. And I think yes. uh, your beautiful story is just an example how different cultures can blend in a different uh, uh, countries. Because I know that a lot of times um, migrants have that challenge being assimilated in a in a different cultures and different countries. But you just shared such a beautiful example when you can actually maintain who you are uh, mm. basically adjust and, and fit in in a country where and, and learn about the country that, uh, that you live in because part of the exactly. uh, master classes when I run with, with the migrant people I say to them don't hang around with people from your own country because you already exactly. come from that country so go yes. and, and learn about Africans and Australians and the beautiful mm. thing is that uh, we are such a multicultural uh, country that is is just gorgeous. Yesterday I was going around South Bank and I've noticed on the South Bank the different cultures and languages that we have. Um, yes. You know when you when you walk along the the uh, South uh, South Mel- the um, South Bank, it's just amazing. Yes. It's just a reminder. Oh, it is absolutely how beautiful we are as a country. 
Well, most um, of my work, most of my work I do in the west of Melbourne. When I say work, it's philanthropic work, and where I feel I can make a difference. As you probably know, it's just a melting yes. pot of different cultures, different nationalities, and I love it. I love meeting these people and the children too. The children yes. being born to these migrants, um, and we are a welcoming country. We we welcome immigration. We welcome these different nationalities. Uh, and I love to mix and meet these people and learn all about them. But Angelo mm. was rather unique back in the 60s. That sort of didn't happen. They would congregate in their own little conclaves. But Angelo mm. said, no, I want to be an Aussie, and, but yes. never forget where I came from. And I really thought it was wonderful. And then, of course, his family came and they did the same and um, never forgot their roots. And so they should That's never forget beautiful. it. beautiful. That's mm. beautiful. Uh, so we will take a short break, and after we sure. come back, I would like to talk more about uh, you being a role model to other women. So uh, stay Thank with you. us, and we'll come back shortly. Sure, no problem. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Immigrants of Australia is a unique organization helping skilled immigrants, in particular women, to establish careers and integrate in a new country. For individuals, we offer coaching and mentoring programs. For organizations, we help create diverse and engaging culture, offer talent placement, career transitions, diversity strategy, and inclusive leadership development. We are also available for speaking and consulting engagements. Visit Wimmigrants.com.au for more information. That's Wimmigrants.com.au. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are listening to Global Workplace with Alma Besserton. To reach the show, please call into our toll-free lines in North America. 1-866-472-5790. That's one 1- 866 
866-472-5790. You may also send an email to alma at wimmigrants.com.au. Now, back to The Global Workplace. Today, I'm so privileged to have Dr. Susan Alberti uh, as my guest. And uh, uh, Sue normally uh, asks people to just call her Sue because that's that's the way she is. And uh, I'm so honored, uh, Sue, this morning to, to have you as my guest. If I could have uh, someone on top of my list, you're certainly one of them. So thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to you uh, today. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Pleasure. So you're a role model um, and mentor to many, many women and the young women in particular. What advice would you give them if they lose the confidence and hit the wall? Do you know what? I never, ever considered myself a role model. I just conducted myself the way I felt was appropriate to be a lady, to be respectful, not to be like one of the blokes because I was in a very male-dominated industry. But the women of today, I would say to them, uh, be ladylike, be respectful. If something is not right, whether it be at work or wherever, speak up. I've always been one to speak up, not necessarily always got the, um, the response <laughs> I needed, but I've always been respectful and I've never given up. I've always gone back and asked why. And if something has not been right with me or I don't believe something's been addressed appropriately, um, I've always gone back and asked why and asked for um, an explanation. So that's what I would say to young women today. If something doesn't appear to be right, uh, you're not being respected appropriately or something is not correct, go back and ask questions. And don't be afraid to speak up and ask questions. Because they're living in a in a world now where women are given much more of a platform to be able to express their feelings. When I was in the 60s, that just did not happen. It was a mm. man's world and women were not treated like they are. I don't believe the way they're treated today. So having gone through 45 years of being in the building industry in a male-dominated industry where I was arguably the only female builder, I learned a lot. I learned not to be a bloke. I learned to continue to always be a lady and act like a lady. And I've been shown the respect that I believe at the time was absolutely needed and appropriate for what I was trying to um, to get over the line. And it was quite difficult, but I always remained and acted like a lady. That's so beautifully said, Sue, because I I came to many, many of your speeches in various um, events, and um, Mm. I think a couple of years ago, I've remembered you said something about the fact is that uh, when, unfortunately, your late husband passed away in a tragic accident, uh, you basically had to go and uh, start um, school in in a building industry, and I remember you said something how you helped them and they helped you. You helped them with their administration work because they were not really good. And so I thought that was so beautiful how you integrated uh, being the only one amongst all these men in in a building class. And the men were absolutely outstanding. When I went back to school to get my license, I was the only woman in the class. But having learned Italian... It was so good for those, most of them, a lot of them were Italian, and their English was limited. 
And I was able to help them with their paperwork because they're pretty hopeless. Um, and and but at the same time, those men helped me so much in the workshop to teach me so much more that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. So we complemented each other. It was a wonderful working environment. I was no threat to them and vice versa. And to this day, it's many, many, many years later, I'm still friends with those men and they've gone on to be incredibly successful and with their help, I guess you could say I've been reasonably successful too. So we complemented each other. I was not in competition and they could Mm. see that. I was there like a sponge. I couldn't get enough information. It had to be very... I needed it very quickly and they were wonderful men, and of course they were migrants. And I look back now in retrospect and think, my God, look how successful they've been. But we helped one another. Yes, that, that was a that was a remarkable example. I also remembered uh, last year at the uh, Inclusion and Diversity Conference when you uh, presented. Uh, at the Australian Institute of Human Resource Management, you also mentioned uh, something. Somebody asked you a question: um, if you if you had to engage with your stakeholders or board or the client, and they told you no, how would you deal with that situation? And you gave such a beautiful example of uh, reflecting. Can you share that with us again, please? Well, I don't necessarily take no for an answer if I don't believe um, they're correct. Uh, with due respect, and I will never, ever, ever give up if I think what I'm doing is the the correct um, way of doing things. Um, but I've never been one to give up. Uh, if I thought um, if it was not appropriate or not the correct response, uh, I would never be aggressive or rude, never. I would then go back and say, well, why? Can you explain to me why this is your um, this has been your response or this is your decision. I need to be very clear in my mind that this is appropriate. Maybe I was wrong. But if I, if I felt that I was, uh, it was correct what I was doing, I would then go back and ask why they disagreed with me without being rude. I've never been rude or aggressive to anyone. I've always been a, um, a person that's been incredibly respectful. That's the way I was brought up, to be respectful. Mm-hmm. And to ask questions, and as I keep saying to people, I never, ever, ever give up if I think I'm correct. But again, I'll keep stressing, I've always been respectful. Mm. And I think that's why you are so respected in this country, uh, Sue, because that comes across as uh, really integrity uh, that you have and, and your beautiful energy. And in fact, every time you're in a room, you just feel your presence. And uh, that, that's, that's just so beautiful uh, because it, it's, um, it, it clearly comes through who you are. The, um, well, I, yes. when, mm-hmm. Sorry, go on. Yes. No, no. When I go to functions, I don't just go there to make a two-minute speech. I go there to meet people. I go there to find out what their concerns are, what they do. I learn from them. I gravitate always to people who I believe are smarter than me, and I always learn something from them. And when I go to functions, I want to know why they're there, who they are, what part they play in the organisation, because I'm learning from them every day of the week. I haven't got all the answers. I never mm. will have all the answers. And I always learn something from those people. 
that when I attend functions, so people find it quite odd. A guest speaker doesn't go just talk and then go off. I like to go mm-hmm. there, meet them, find out what they're there for, what I can learn from them. So that's yes. the way I am. Yes, and I've noticed that, and every time you come as a speaker, and probably you're one of the very rare speakers that that uh, happens, everyone just straight away come around you and they want to ask you the question, they want to interact with you. It's just so beautiful to see, so. Well, vice versa. I enjoy it from them, too. They give me energy that I perhaps wouldn't leave a function. They Mm. they tell me about their, you know, what's, what's happening in their lives, in their business and home life. Um, People might think, oh, that's a bit overwhelming and blah, blah, blah. But it's not. I really learn from these people. Just down to earth, lovely people. I learn a lot from them. And I guess Mm. they learn something from me as well. Oh, absolutely. There's so much to learn from you. Um, Thank you. So you 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 loved football as a young girl and you share that in your book and you share that often on your... Uh, engagements and um, your father was a policeman and um, yes. it wasn't really a thing uh, back in those days to, to, to have as a woman as a playing uh, a sport. Is this what motivated you to provide your leadership and support for women and open the door uh, in mm. Australian uh, rules football, which was one of the key reasons behind establishment of elite AFL women's competition in 2017 yes. and Victoria uh, Women's Football League Premier Division Cup is named Sulberti Cup in your honour. Can you tell yes. us a little bit more about that? Oh, it goes back a long way. When I was six years old, my brother and I decided to barrack for a particular football club, being Footscray, as it was known then, but now the AFL Western Bulldogs. And I always loved to play footy with my brother, kick to kick, but I know I'm modest when I say this, but I was better than my brother. Um, <laughs> Richard knows that. He's a good sport. I, was, I had better skills, better ball skills than him. I was pretty good at sport because I was directed towards sport because of the environment I lived in. It was, you know, really tough. And, and Dad could see that active team-based sport was really important for me, particularly in the area that I lived in. So... I was directed towards sports, but the thing that I loved most of all was um, football, AFL football. Not soccer football, but AFL football. And I started playing because I was a member of the cheer squad. My father felt that that was a safe environment. Being a policeman, he dropped me off, and um, we then formed our own cheer squad footy teams. We'd play on a Sunday against the other cheer squads, and uh, I was not a bad footballer. Dad said I was good, so Dad knew everything. Um, being a footballer himself, <laughs> being a, and he was also an umpire because that was the only other job he could do without getting permission from the chief commissioner because he was a policeman. And then my brother became an umpire because he was a better umpire than he was a footballer. So I had two umpires in the family, and I was the footballer. But by the time I got to 15... I wasn't allowed to play anymore. My father wouldn't allow me because I was playing against men. Well, boys at 15 are pretty rough and tough. And Dad felt that I was being belted around far too much. And to my dismay and horror, he made me hang up my boots and retire at 15. Because in those days, there was absolutely nothing for women to then go on to a league, whereas the men had so many choices and opportunities. And I was really upset. Why should women be denied something that they've truly loved. So it never really ever left me that yearning desire to want to play footy, but there was nothing. 
And whilst I didn't have the resources, the wherewithal or the know-how um, to promote women, it never left me. And I was following women's footy for years and years and years, apart from the men too as well. And I was very unhappy that women were being treated like this. So um, some time ago, I was invited to speak at a VWFL function, a luncheon, and before the event, the actual, um, when I had to speak, I went and talked to all the committee and the women, and they were on their knees. They were really, truly ready to fold. But we had mm. thousands of women out there wanting to play the game. And I thought, well, what's something really tangible I can do to help these women? And I've been reasonably successful, having come from nothing. Um, I was reasonably successful. I thought, well, the best way I can help is to give them some money to then employ some full-time staff to get this show on the road appropriately and give them some resources. Well, that absolutely got things... I guess I could, you could say I was the catalyst for things to come. That enabled them to employ, employ full-time staff. And then, of course, as I say, the rest is history. But then the AFL really became serious. I went to see the AFL, asked them for support, and unbelievable support they gave me and they gave the women. And uh, then we decided we'd have exhibition matches, which then took it by storm at the AFL. Women became more and more involved. And then, of course, the National League was formed. And now we have a National League. Um, it's come from something, a very small grant. Um, and my support for three years, I financially and personally supported my Bulldog girls to get them on the field. And then the Melbourne Football Club, they then went out on a limb and found their sponsor, um, mm -hmm. I think a pharmaceutical company. Exhibition matches, they came, they saw. People were convinced this was a great thing, and now look what we've got. I was at the Best in Ferris last night for the National Women's League. We're now, it's now a revolution going on. You cannot I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say you created a, such a revolution in a country because uh, one of my guests uh, on the global radio show also was uh, Karen Hayes, who is the CEO of the oh, Guide Dogs, and she Karen. talked about, yes, and I mentioned to her that uh, you also one of my guests, and she said, oh, yes, Sue is the one who started uh, all this um uh, a revolution for the girls uh, being in AFL and it's just such an amazing legacy so but you have many many legacies this is one of your biggest dreams wasn't it well Karen Hayes is a remarkable woman let's not forget Karen she was one of many wonderful wonderful men and women who were promoting women's football I think what I did, and this is my own journey, um, because there's women out there and men that have been remarkable. I think I was the catalyst when I stepped up with a check and then continued on and, and wouldn't take no for an answer. And I'm very good mm -hmm. at that. When I think I believe in something, I'll never take no for an answer because I knew this was a good thing. I knew it was good for women. It was good for sport. But also what it's done, it's translated to women in business. And women are now much more confident about speaking up and talking about matters that concern them because sport mm -hmm. has done that for them. So this is what's happened in Australia, not just sport but in business and just overall women. Um, it's just given them so much more confidence and young women to speak up. And now we've got women just turning up in droves 
you want to play, yes. whether it be AFL or soccer or tennis or cricket, we can do this. We're okay. Mm. We can do this. And quite frankly, whilst AFL is my great passion in life, I don't care what women's what sport they play, so long yes. as they're given the opportunity. It's not a privilege. It is their absolute right to play yes. any sport if that's what they want to do. Yeah, and that's so beautifully said. passion of mine. Mm. That's what it's that's about. That's so beautiful. Yeah, that's so beautifully said. It is actually right, not a privilege. Um, I, no, exactly. I just love that. Mm. Um, so we we're having another break, um, and when we come back, we'll talk about a few more things um, about sure. uh, your awards and also your passion sure. to find a cure for diabetes. One, so stay with us. Sure. We'll come back shortly. future of online tv is here view exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else visit voiceamerica.tv today the voice america live events channel is here now to showcase your corporate individual or organization's live event visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Immigrants of Australia is a unique organization helping skilled immigrants, in particular women, to establish careers and integrate in a new country. For individuals, we offer coaching and mentoring programs. For organizations, we help create diverse and engaging culture, offer talent placement, career transitions, diversity strategy, and inclusive leadership development. We are also available for speaking and consulting engagements. Visit Wimmigrants.com.au for more information. That's Wimmigrants.com.au. are listening to Global Workplace with Alma Besserton. To reach the show, please call in to our toll-free lines in North America, 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to alma at wimmigrants.com.au. Now, back to the Global Workplace. 
Welcome back, uh, the Global uh, Workplace uh, listeners. Uh, I'm so excited. Today I've got Dr. Susan Alberti as my guest and the name of the show is Kicking Goals with Dr. Sue Alberti. And I think, Sue, that was such an appropriate uh, title for the show because you just kick goals um, one after another. Um, Mm. Congratulations, by the way, being a Melbourneian of the year 2017. Thank you. That was very special. Mm. Uh, you you are such an inspiration to many people and women in particular, and uh, you turn impossible into possible. Where does your inspiration and motivation come from? If I think a wrong is being done um, and I can have some influence, I will try and change things. Like, for example, with football, I felt it was very, very unfair that the women were being treated the way they were when I knew they were absolutely desperate to play the game they loved and I knew they just needed resources and skills. And uh, So uh, when I think I can improve a situation... Look, I'm a solution person. When I've got a yes. problem, I want to find a solution immediately, uh, if I can do it. There has to be a, mm. an answer here. You know, I, I can... Let's see what I can do to try and bring about a solution quickly. I knew with football it was not going to be quick because, let's face it, women's football goes back 103 years, in fact, further, when the men went to war in 1915 and the women were then played in their position. So I often say the first 100 years is the hardest. (laughs) So with women's football, it's been evolving for many, many, many years, but it needed a a really sort of kick up, you know what, a kick start. And I knew... um, I felt that I could do that and give it that kickstart and give it a big push along. But I had to convince the powers to be that this is a real deal. This can happen. And, it, and it, I was able to convince, as along with other many wonderful women, men and women, that I was able to go to the AFL and be convincing and say, this is a winner. So when I see something that I can make a difference in, I will go at it. 100 kilometres an hour. I will not stop. I am relentless. If I think Mm -hmm. what I'm doing is the right thing to do, I can make a difference and improve the quality and lives of people, whether it be sport or business or medical research, that's what I do. And that's the greatest thing that I really, really love doing is trying to make a difference. And I have hope that along the way I've done that, made some sort of difference. It's, it's almost a uh, um, sound that uh, your destiny was to be who you are, Sue. It, your destiny is to be a change agent and catalyst for change in, in everything you do. Yeah, well, that's just how it's turned out. I mean, I guess because of my tough upbringing, I've had to fight for everything. I've had to fight for every... I mean, I, three five cents to me was in the money box. It was not, I was never given anything. I was given absolutely nothing. I was given wonderful parents, a roof over my head, food on the table, and the rest I've had to work for myself. So it was never, ever given to me. And I'm incredibly proud that I've been able to do it on my own um, and, and just uh, and put back. To me, it's, it's fine to be successful and, and do all of those things, but... For me to give back, that is part of who I am, my DNA. I need to be able to give back 
and see the difference I can make in the lives of Australians and for that matter, maybe around the world, whether it be diabetes or business, but to give back to me is incredibly important. But in giving back, I need a return on my investment. I need mm. to know that I really, really have made a difference and there's a return yes. on that investment. Not, I don't give for the sake of giving. I don't give for any kudos or anything. I'll, I managed to keep my um, identity and profile very quiet and I love doing that. Unfortunately, well, well, maybe fortunately it's now out there, but I did so much behind the scenes behind, uh, that people didn't know about and I got mm-hmm. enormous satisfaction out of that. I get satisfaction about bringing people together and forming alliances. I get satisfaction of going to government and saying, I'll give X if you'll give X. And I probably have yes. raised $150 million that way because I've been wow. able to convince government I'm putting my own hard cash, I'm bringing people to the table. Now, what are you going to do? You've got a role to play in this. And I don't think I've ever, ever had a knockback from government, whether it be state or federal or local, because I have put some of my hard-earned cash there as well. So that is viewed favourably, I guess, by government and by other companies and organisations. And when I go to these people, I say, I'm doing X, what are you doing? And it works quite well. I'm not out there looking for handouts all the time. Mm. But at the same time, I have been very sick and I have been on the other side of the desk where I've said, can you save my life? Mm. And I've looked at them from a different viewpoint. I need you. I need you desperately to give me another chance at life. And that's what they've done for me. And I'm no exception. They treat all my fellow Australians the same way. I just in in awe of these men and women who come up with all these cures and and they're just remarkable. So if you ever decide to be a Prime Minister, I'll do anything (laughs) to help you. (laughs) Thank you. That's actually been posed many times to me. But I think what I'm doing now is making a difference and... um, improving the quality and lives of my fellow Australians and dementia is an area now that I'm heavily involved in and I don't know if I make 1% difference I'm doing it because people are sliding into another world I don't like what I see I've been in aged Mm. care if I can make a difference there that's what I'm working on now infrastructure for women in sport absolutely needed all these facilities Government now recognise that I've ran into one of the ministers last night and I said, last time I saw, I saw you, I hammered you for three hours. He said, Sue, well, I think it's made a difference because we're really seriously <laughs> looking at it. So, you know, if I use those opportunities, it's never about me. It's, mm. uh, when I talk to these people, it's always about the community and what we can do for the community. I'm very happy yes. in my world, but if I can mm. make a, um, a difference to my fellow Australians... That makes me so happy and satisfied. That brings me to another question, uh, Sue, about uh, your Susan Alberti Medical Foundation helping the medical yeah. research of cure of diabetes. Tell us more on a background of that. Well, it's more broadly now because of my own um, running with, with, with disease. But look, it goes back 40 years when my then yes. uh, 12-year-old was diagnosed with type 1. Very little yes. around in this country, very little. I became involved. Cut a long story short, I joined the International Board of the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. I was Australia's president for 23 years. 
when I became involved, nothing was really happening in this country. There was no money being invested. And, of course, since then, millions and millions have been invested into diabetes research. I was there at the forefront, which I was very honoured. I became incredibly good friends with Mary Tyler Moore, who unfortunately has passed away last year. Um, Mary is a wonderful woman. I, I, people say to me, who was the one that really influenced you or mentor? Mary is at the top there, Mary Tyler Moore, wonderful woman. She led the way with type 1, having had it herself. I then Ray, I went to government. We've raised millions of dollars for islet cell transplantation, technology, pumps, continuous glucose monitors. Technology has come a long way in my time. We don't have a cure, which frustrates mm. the living daylights out of me. Um, I'm relentless. I will never give up till I take my last breath. I'll continue to work towards trying to help and find a cure for type 1. Danielle, unfortunately, died from the complications. She died on a plane, bringing her home from the United States where she desperately needed a kidney. Um, two of her colleagues from the university over there in the States stepped up to give her their kidney. They were not compatible. I went to Mount Sinai, did the test. I was compatible, given the green light to bring her home, to give her my kidney. We didn't make it just outside of Los Angeles. She died in my arms from a massive heart attack from the complications. But I often say, well, I held her in my arms when she was born, my little baby, and I held her in my arms when she died. And um, I promised her I'd never, ever give up. When she was there lying next to me on the plane, I said, darling, I'll never give up. There are too many Danielles in the world, and I haven't, and that was 16 years ago, and I continue to pursue Oh, everything I can, whether it be government or pharmaceutical, to try and find a cure because there's too many kids with this insidious disease. And more broadly now, I'm supporting um, good health and living with type 2 diabetes, having been in, in a situation of being unhealthy, morbidly obese. Um, I have had cancer. I've had open-heart surgery with five blockages. So more broadly now, I support all types of research. But again... My greatest passion will always be type 1 in trying to find a cure for type 1 diabetes because that's what killed my daughter, the complications. My only child, certainly not by choice. I, wasn't, I wanted more children, uh, but it was, wasn't I'm to be. I'm so sorry. I'm mm. so sorry. Every time I hear that, Sue, I just feel mm. goosebumps because there's nothing worse than lose your own child. And uh, that's right. I, I'm You're really sorry child. to hear every time you mention that. I just, I just, you know, feel pain in in my chest because uh, it's it's. Well, a lot of people don't know the same year. Uh, not only did well, Angelo died not long before. Angelo yes. died from terrible drunk driver or drug affected driver went through an intersection and threw my husband. And the same year, my mother died, my father died, my beautiful mother-in-law, who I adored, she died of old age, but then my daughter. And I went to the cemetery and bought nine plots. <laughs> Cheaper when you uh, buy more than one. I know I laugh about it, but that seemed to be... I thought, this has got to stop. Uh, everyone mm-hmm. around me, my family are dying. And, um, yeah, I did go into mourning and... Um, hid it from lots and lots of people, but I think I internalised too much and I then yes. put all my energies into helping others, but in helping others, I wasn't helping myself. And that's when I had to have a good look at Susan Alberti and realise that she was not looking after herself. So I turned that around 
and um, half my body weight. I'm happy. I'm healthy. I've got a beautiful yes. husband who I adore, uh, who supports everything that I do. But I don't have Danielle, and she was my best friend. And well, that's what's happened, and um, I can't change it. But I can still continue to make a difference, and that's what I'm trying to do. And uh, just on that, so you you published um, a biography, the Footy Lady. And um, somewhere in there says that no tragedy, no challenge has proven too hard for Susan Alberti. Mm. And um, I heard that um, this book was a promise to your daughter. As I said, I bought a book and, uh, you know, I was laughing and crying and because it's such a tragic, tragic, um, you know, the, 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 the life that you had and yet you come out stronger and stronger and also your sense of humor. Can you tell us a little bit about that before um, we finish episode today sure. and also how people can um, get your book if they would like to buy one? Thank you. Uh, well, about 35 years ago when Danielle was attending Melbourne University, I got to know a lot of her friends and they are mainly women, and she had some male friends too, but mainly women, and they said, she said, Mum, you should write a book about your life in a man's world because it was very unique what I was doing. And I said, ah, who want to read about me? I had about four other businesses at the same time, so I dismissed it. And about two weeks before Danielle died, she was in America, and she said, in New York, and she said, Mum, have you written that book? And I said, no. She said to me, promise me one day you'll write that book because I think young women would love to know your story in a man's world and just know what mm-hmm. you've been up against in your life. It would make an interesting story. And, I, of course, again, I thought, oh, yeah, right. But it was Danielle's last wish, and I yes. wanted to fulfill that wish for my daughter because I loved her dearly, and we became really good friends in the end, even though, you know, things could be a bit touchy and difficult at times growing up, as mums and daughters are. So it was mm-hmm. the last wish, and I didn't want to do it, really. But I had people coming to me and saying, Sue, you should do it. And I met someone who I really liked, a biographer, and she and I spent 18 months together writing that book. So as I say, it's my daughter's last wish, but the money for that book does not go to me. Any royalties I receive are going to go to medical research to make a difference in Danielle's memory, of course, but also more broadly, other types of research. So that's why the book was written called The Footy Lady because everywhere I go, I'm referred to as the footy lady. You're like the lady that made football happen for women. Yes. Even though there's a lot more to me than just football. So that's... That's sort of that. So, that's so sorry title, to interrupt you. Sorry to interrupt you. We have literally uh, thirty seconds uh, to finish. Okay. I just would like you to. I just sure. would like to remind listeners they can sure. go and Google the Footy Lady by Susan Alberti, and you can order yes. online. I ordered my yes. online, and uh, thank you. Also, people can uh, contribute to your Susan Alberti. Um, Medical Fund, Research Foundation. Medical Research Foundation. That's also on your website uh, to help your diabetes. So I you. had a, such a pleasure and honor having you Thank as you. my guest on the Global Workplace. Thank you so much, and I wish you and your family uh, a great health and happiness going forward. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, and goodbye, everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sue. Thank you for making us a part of your week. Please join Alma Besserd in for another edition of the Global Workplace next Tuesday at 4 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time 
on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week.